Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bat Bar Podcast. Of course, I'm your guest, Christopher Menning, and uh, what a special episode today. We have uh, none other than the notorious Richard Sill uh, calling me from his home in Barbados and Foursquare Distillery. Uh, Richard, such an honor to have you on the show. Uh, how's life? How's it going? Oh, well, thanks for having me. Um, this was a nice, pleasant surprise. Um, it's late here in the evening, 10 p.m., so it's uh, everything's uh, very quiet here at the moment. Right. Okay. And um, I mean, I hate to ask, but um, we have to, I guess, because it's a current situation. But how has the whole pandemic affected you guys over there? Um, well, what it has done is, uh, in terms of um, the actual uh, disease, uh, I would say, you know, relatively speaking, we're pretty unscathed that but of course, that's, you know, that's easy to say for those who have not been affected. But compared to other countries, we've done very, very well. We were mostly COVID-free for most of the year last year. Um, in fact, we had seven deaths up to the end of December. And then I think it's now over 80 or something like that. That's happened in 2021. So we we spent 2020 um, uh, mostly escaping it. And then we had a terrible outbreak in in January and then, uh, so, but as I say, compared to many places, uh, I think we've we're um, much better off. Having said that, but we've been affected, obviously, the tourist industry. So, so even if health wisely, it's not been as bad as it, it, it as other places. It, economically, it's been pretty hard. Yes, yeah, I can imagine. Um, well, it's good to hear it's not really affected too much in terms of. Um, uh, outbreak or cases but yeah it's sad times and, and hopefully we're sort of getting out of it i know the vaccine's rolling out quite fast do you guys have access to it yet yes and it's going pretty pretty well here uh, in terms of, of vaccination yes great well, well we'll stay away from the covid um news and updates but um we'll lots to talk about today um obviously all about rum um and i'm, I'm so excited to have you here because uh I, i've honestly been such a fan of foursquare distillery uh, and Dawley's as well, because it was one of the first rums I started to learn about uh, in terms of production and quality. So I think it really started my journey, um, learning about rum. Um, but with all my guests, I'd love to get like a sort of origin story. And actually, your family has such a long history um, with the island and, and Foursquare, right? So I'm sure you've told it many times before, but I'd love to hear all about that. <laughs> right. Well, so so there's sort of two two histories, if you... There's, my family and then then this Foursquare and our, our histories merge in in 94 but so our history um, 
goes back to my great grandfather uh, starting the business in the in the twenties. Um, now it's easy to explain to um, spirits like Scotch whiskey, um, where the separation between you know blender, bottler, and distiller well that existed in our part of the world, uh, existed in Barbados and Jamaica, and so you know my my background, my great grandfather. Uh, was you know you know merchant trader and bought you know bought rum and blended and bottled. Um, contemporary of his would have been Martin Dorley. Um, so that's why today we both produce rums on the RL Seal and Martin Dorley. We acquired a Martin Dorley brand in '93. Um, so that's that's our side. I mean, it's not that old but it's pretty old but foursquare now is very old the site of foursquare has been doing sugar since the 17th century and so foursquare that whole area you know back in the 17th century would have been multiple estates and the whole area was actually called foursquare not a single um estate was you know, called foursquare they were small and they were just you know, named for wherever the was you know the owner working in the estate um we sort of can recognize uh the estate that became foursquare from the early 1700s and the oldest building on the site dates from about 1730 and then foursquare as a sort of modern iteration of foursquare takes shape as in the size matching the area from about the 1800s. And so Foursquare for most of this history is basically a sugar estate. And the sugar estate in those days, you grew your own cane and you milled your own cane and made your own sugar molasses and rum. And Foursquare continued like that until the late 19th century. Uh, we stopped making rum in the late 19th century Foursquare. A uh, number of estates stopped. This was a consequence of the introduction of taxation and licensing. That's a whole nother, we could talk another old story on that. Bob, but Bob, it just basically went from about 150 distilleries in the 1850s to about uh, 12 in the early 1900s uh, or late 1800s. So Foursquare stopped doing rum. But the other major change that happened at Foursquare is it became, as I say, up to up to the turn of the 20th century, all the estates in Barbados did their own cane and made their own um, sugar and molasses. What happened in, in the early 20th century in Barbados is a bit late to this, was the formation of central sugar factories where estates only grew their cane and sent it to factories. And Foursquare, being one of the larger estates, became one of these central factories, and actually separated from, from the original estate in the 40s. So there's actually two Foursquares, and there's still two Foursquares to this day. So it's a Foursquare sugar factory and a Foursquare plantation. And today there is now a Foursquare distillery and a Foursquare plantation. They were separated off. The sugar factory continued till 1988 and closed. Um, this is the shrinkage of the Barbados sugar industry from the 1970s. There were 10 sugar factories in 1970. There is now one, um, and the one is not any of the original 10. Uh, they're all the original 10 have gone. Um, so Foursquare closed in 1988. 
And what we did is we bought it as a shut estate in 94, refurbished it, um, but to make rum, not uh, sugar. So it's, uh, you know, it's wonderful to go and, and redevelop an old estate. Obviously, there's no real, you know, sort of link to the original, you know, rum making of the estate, which was, you know, lost over 100 years when we, when we took it over. But um, uh, as I say, it's, it's, it's a site with a lot, of, a lot of history, even if its uh, latest carnation is relatively recent, which is, you know, last 94, so a little over. Well, we, we first rum was distilled again in 96. So we're actually coming up for 25 years uh, anniversary of, the, of that moment. Well, congratulations for that. As I say, they, and so our history, so what happened then in 94, of course, when we purchased the estate and uh, refurbished it as a distillery, we migrate all of the brands to, so this is the R.L. Seal Dorley's brand, and there's a couple of the local brands. We migrate them all to Foursquare. And then, as is the case, um, you know, which happened 50 years ago in Scotch whiskey, in the first sort of, you know, distillery brand, um, you know, when you think of the first single malt brand like that, Philip in 64. What's been happening in rum is a number of distilleries with the heritage of selling, you know, two blenders and bottlers. There we are now creating our own distillery brands. So we then released our own brand, you know, the brands on the Foursquare label, the rums on the Foursquare label. As they say, you can see this in Jamaica where you now have, a, you know, a Hamden brand and a Worthy Park brand distilleries that um, have a long history but not as their own brand mm. well it's um really interesting to hear about all this and and um i'd love to hear about the production levels like so let's talk about maybe um some of the rums you you produce firstly uh, and also the sort of levels of production you're you're at so well when we speak of production one of the things we can certainly talk about with rum is the fact that at foursquare we would run both pot still and column still so what happened in 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 the region uh you know it's very similar to scotch whiskey um you know in comes the column still uh and in comes the sort of um the concept of the you know, over in the French islands, they call it rum industrial. In other words, the concept of a, a distillery that's not attached to a sugar estate. It's a distillery that can, you know, with a column still can operate on their biggest scale. So, you know, grain whiskey is like, uh, is, is whiskey industrial. And so you have this column still arriving. And of course it's, you know, and being it's not attached to an estate, it has to use masses. Uh, and so this comes in. And very much the same way that blended Scotch whiskey becomes very popular, blended rum becomes very popular. So in Barbados, what happens is in the, in the 20th century is we evolve the modern style of Barbados rum, which is a blend. Uh, one, do, one big fundamental difference that is with blended rums uh, is that pretty well every blended rum distiller uh, does their both both pot and column so that's what you see on our labels we write single blended and i think this is a very a good dis uh, very important distinction because i think in recent years as you probably know you know single malts tended to take all the attention and blended scotch has tended to sort of um 
you know, not been seen in the, as, as a strong a light. And I think a little bit because, and again, I'm not a Scotch whiskey expert, but it's a little bit because the the column side has become a little bit too generic. And the beauty of rum is, is that we can protect that from happening because we all operate our own column stills. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're a blended rum producer with our own column still, you know, Mangay is a blended rum producer with his own column still. And, you know, Appleton is a blended rum producer with their own column still. So it does, uh, so that's where the word single blended comes in. So it's, you know, single in the same meaning as single malt, single distillery, but blended being a pot and column. So at the distillery, we have one column still, one pot still, and we are now com- putting in a second pot still. So we'll have three stills in the end, two pot, one column. But that's, uh, as you say, that's really been kind of the definitive Barbados style of the last kind of 100 years to be a blended rum. Mm. Okay, interesting. And I mean, it's good to kind of move on from this because uh, my next question is about, um, uh, you know, you've always been very vocal about the rum industry and I think that's why I was really happy to have you on the show. Um, and a lot of it, um, there was a quote you I read from you and it was, um, drink what you want, but know what you're drinking. Yeah, um, and that sort of mantra sort of works, it does work very well. Um, because, you know, the principle really is, it's not about, uh, you know, when we, when we speak about the industry issues, um, it, we're talking about situations which are with you know we think that are damaging to the industry and i think it's damaging to the industry when um you know a bad product is presented as premium uh so a doctored product is presented as premium uh you know a solera age statement is used to mislead people on aging it's not necessarily the product of itself it's how it's presented. Mm-hmm. And so, in other words, you know, if you like you know, Captain Morgan Spice, I, I, you like Captain Morgan Spice, drink what you like. <laughs> the, the, the point would be is don't pay $100 a bottle for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, know what you're drinking. So, you know, and, and, and that's really the mantra. And so it's about, it's kind of about really because you know, the rum industry, uh, and again, one of these canards is, you know, that rum doesn't have any rules and all this kind of nonsense. It's, it, rum does have, have rules. The, the difference is, is that in the major markets, the, that's where the rules don't exist. So, um, so for example, um, you know, it's against the law, for example, to, set, to, to sell a, a Jamaica rum in Jamaica with sugar in it. Not just a, not just a, 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 a sort of standard of, of product, but actually, you know, on the laws of, of Jamaica. But the moment that Jamaica rum leaves Jamaica, Jamaica law doesn't apply anymore. So you could buy a Jamaica rum in Europe or a Jamaica rum in U.S. and find it sugar. Mm. And so the point is, is not a rum doesn't have any rules it doesn't have any rules in the relevant markets where it's sold whereas you don't have that with scotch whiskey so you know a scotch a bottle of scotch sold in the u.s has to meet the same standard as it has to meet in the uk and the bottle of cognac sold in the u.s has to meet the same standard as it has to meet back in the eu and you also have the you know the 
um, reciprocal rules. So, you know, a bottle of bourbon in your EU is protected. So we don't have these things in rum. And then people then falsely say, well, rum, you know, doesn't have any rules. I mean, another example would be, you know, AOC Martinique. So Martinique rum is a highly regulated uh, AOC. If you, you know, you, you put, to put the word Martinique rum on your label, mm-hmm. you have to meet very exact, exacting standards. But the only place that's enforced is in the EU. So um, to sort of illustrate the point, agricole, you can write, I could, I could sell a bottle of rum in the, in, in the US and write agricole on it. Wow, okay. And there's nothing to stop me. So, whereas, you know, if I was a brandy maker, I couldn't sell a bottle of brandy in the U.S. and call it cognac, could I? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's, the, that's the analogy there, you see. So then people say, well, you know, we're in those many rules. So the problem is, is that when we're in these major markets, it's a great opportunity to exploit these things. So that's really, really sort of the mantra comes from, because... At the end of the day, if you don't, uh, if you don't have uh, protection on standards of identity, if you don't have protections on what age statements mean, if you don't have uh, protection on, on these things, um, people will exploit them. I mean, I always people say, people suddenly say, "Oh, but we want, we want to, you know, we love the guy who doesn't have any rules, so you know, it gives you freedom to create." You, know, you want an example of. Of a category without rules, you, you take vodka, you make it from anything, and it tastes like nothing. That's what happens when you don't have any rules. <laughs> right. Um, you get full exploitation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know the the rules don't constrain anybody from making, um, from innovating or or pushing the envelope of quality. What they do is they you know they protect standards of identity. So you know. When's a rum not a rum? Well, you know, if you've added copious amounts of sugar and flavorings and sherry flavoring and stuff like that, well, it's not a rum anymore, is it? Mm. So again, it comes back to drink what you like, but know what you're drinking. Um, you know, there are products out there that are, are absolutely just, you know, dreadful products, really poor quality masquerading as, as, as premium rum, but they're sugary sweet, so, so people do like them. And then there are some actually genuine quality products that are, you know, flavored up, but then, you know, they're actually, you know, the way I like to describe them is, is if you gave them to me as a, as a spirit drink, I might score them nine out of 10, but if you told me that they're a rum, I'd score them two out of 10 because they don't taste like rum anymore. Right. Um, <laughs> so this is important. So again, as I say, yeah, so that, that, that's the source of, 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 you know, my mantra. So, you know, if you're, if you are really drinking a rum liqueur, there's absolutely nothing wrong with drinking a rum liqueur. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm enjoying a rum liqueur. Um, but just know that it is that you are drinking a rum liqueur. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And um, no, it's so good, great to hear this stuff. And I'm not definitely going to uh, name any distillery, any names, that, um, because I agree there are some rums which I think are, are delicious, but you know there's a ton of sugar and colouring. But um, maybe for the audience, like, why, do you, why do some distilleries do this? Why do they add sugar uh, colouring? Is it to try and match the market uh, needs? Well, the, I think the, one of the first things I, I should try to shut out the, one of these canards that you know, people love to say, well, well it's, you know, it's an old tradition and all this nonsense. When you look, you will see. If you look at the oldest rum producers, 
and the newer rum producers. And I think a lot of people don't even know which is some of the newer rum producers. You can obviously see a correlation between what you might say, the producers of authentic rums or the older producers. So if you go on a typical market and you look at the oldest brands and you look, say, at Barbados brands, and you look, say, at Jamaica brands, you look, say, at Martinique brands, you don't find these are doctored at rums. When you look at some of the doctored at rums, they are coming from producers that, you know, have started in the, or regions that have started in the latter half of the 20th century. Where it came from is there's actually a little step back to understanding a little bit. And this is now the fundamental difference between a traditional spirit maker and the kind of modern spirit making you see around the world, which is done, done very innocently, let me explain. So when we're making rum, or Jamaica's making rum, or Scotland's making Scotch whiskey, what's coming off the still is the spirit. It has the flavor of the raw material. If you go and head out to some newer producer regions, whether you go and you head out, say, to the Far East, or you head out to Central America or whatever, you will see there, you know, I don't want to name names, but again, this is all done very, just not done in any deceptive way. Mm. I mean, I, I can give you a perfect example. We, you know perfectly well, there's loads of Indian whiskey made in India that is made from neutral alcohol. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of these producers, this is how you make spirit. You make neutral alcohol, and then you flavor it. So, you know, there are distilleries out in the Far East that it's one company, it has a neutral alcohol plant, and they're turning out gin, vodka, whiskey, brandy, rum. You know, it's the product is then defined by whatever flavor they add to it. So part of where this whole flavoring and sugaring is coming from the fact that the modern producer doesn't have the historic um, uh, heritage where the flavor came from the raw material. And of course, it's an alcohol plant because in these generally lesser developed countries, it's about producing the product with the most um, marketability, the most, uh, so you produce alcohol on a big scale, you sell. You sell, you sell it all as alcohol, but you make alcohol from school use, alcohol for, you know, go and get uh, um, dehydration and, and sold as, as fuel. Or you add some flavoring in it and you sell it as rum or your brandy or whiskey. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the root of it. It wasn't anybody sitting down and saying, oh, well, I think I'll, I'll sugar up the product. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different spirit making culture. And, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, the guy making Indian whiskey in India from neutral alcohol, he's not doing it out of any sort of deception. It's just, that's how they think whiskey is made. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's a distillery, there's a distillery in um, Central America. It's an alcohol plant. And it has a giant big post board up and it sort of, you know, it makes alcohol and it has all these uses of alcohol. So, you know, its product is alcohol and it's, the board is proudly listing all these things that alcohol is. And one line is alcohol plus essences equals 
brandy, <laughs> rum, whiskey. And is you know, there's nothing hidden about it. This is this is how you, as far as they're concerned, that's how you make whiskey. Right. So yeah. that's the so that's where it's that's kind of the origin of why you know you have this, you know, a, a Barbados rum and a Jamaica rum, which are made in a way that you can fully understand, you know, the flavors from the raw material, you know, the, the spirit of the still, you know, has the flavor and taste. And then you have a completely different culture. You go and visit another one and they say, oh yeah, we're making rum and you see this giant, you know, multi-column ethanol plant. And then when you taste the product, you can tell, you know, there's lots of things added to it. It's two totally different cultures. Mm. And I know um, maybe I don't know if it's a problem that needs a solution, but I would say, like, sorry for my wording, maybe, but um, I guess one of the solutions to to the market and and understanding rum a bit better is uh, geographical indication. And I know it's something you work quite hard uh, in Barbados to get right. Can you tell us more about that? So, okay, um, take a step back. So, GIs is a mechanism where there's been various uh, treaties and countries sign up to these treaties. And the idea is, is that when you're a signatory to these treaties, you will go back in your own country, you'll create legislation. Legislation will create a framework for local registration of a product in the country, as well as the tools for then recognizing a product from another of one of the treaty countries. So that is a process that has, is a relatively modern process. I mean, when you think of Scotch whiskey as a GI, but most of, you know, Scotch whiskey has been protected for many years using whatever tools have been available, common law, um, group trademarks. But in the modern era, Scotch whiskey has a GI and they go around the world registering it to where the countries that recognize GIs uh, the U.S. is famously not one of them. Um, and it becomes a much easier tool of protection. So if Barbados recognizes the Scotch Whiskey GI, that means that any product that says Scotch Whiskey on it uh, will have to conform to the rules of Scotland. So this is all relatively new. When I say new, I'm talking the last couple of decades. And so Barbados has now some GI legislation. And so it's to solve that problem I just discussed, where you can have a product under a local standard, which may be written or unwritten. Many of these standards are often unwritten. Uh, you codify it locally under your local GI legislation. And then you go to the markets that recognize the GI, and the EU is famously one of them. EU, EU has really excellent GI legislation an excellent mechanism for recognizing GIs. And you go to the EU and you say, recognize my GI. And what that means is uh, you then have your Barbados rum product then no longer merely has to conform to the base EU standard, but has to conform to the Barbados standard. And it also then becomes further protection against adulteration. Because let's face it, one of the things that people take for granted is you walk into a store in Europe and you see a bottle of Barbados rum. 
you assume you have you have no idea the level of trust you have given in this game and you know this is again because it's a very old industry and a very trust and trusting industry so you know we know you know all the traditional um, like independent bottlers and stuff they're you know the companies uh, beyond reproach so when we see a you know a independently bottled bar with a rum by one of our favorite ibs we safely are confident that it's 100% Barbados rum. But there's really no actual mechanism. So when you have a GI, when Barbados says, right, Barbados rum is, is very valuable, we think it's seriously at risk of adulteration. And it is, I mean, the more valuable product of, you know, Barbados rum uh, commands, the, the more incentive there is um, you know, it's just like Scotch whiskey that gets adulterated, you know, with some whiskey from somewhere else in the world and some scammer tries that. Well, it's the same. This will, you know, well, it's been, ha this has happened to Jamaica rum for, for decades. And so what you do is you, um, when you do the GI, you now have the tools of the, you know, the national governments, the, 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 the EU on your side to protect, to ensure that product is 100% Barbados rum. So that's that's the motivation behind it. It's to, to have the runs to the standards. Uh, and as they say, some standards are written, some standards are unwritten. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in the, the famous 1908, um, uh, conference on whiskey and other potable spirits. So the first time that any rules were codified in the UK for, you know, whiskey or rum or whatever. And, you know, they were into, you know, one of the witnesses was, was uh, Sir Daniel Morris, the Imperial, Imperial Commissioner for Agriculture to the West Indies. Hmm. And, you know, they were asking him, you know, do they, you know, is there any adulteration in Jamaica rum? And he said, you know, certainly not. And, you know, and they sort of asked, well, you know, is there any, you know, law or whatever, you know, to protect it? And this is, this is before the excise law that I mentioned earlier. It's not, you know, and uh, he said, no, there's no, but he said, but he said, but the producers would never do it. He said, the producers would never take that chance. So here we are in 1908 before anything is codified. And he's basically saying, you know, no, the distillers would never, would never take that risk. These, you know, these are unwritten rules that they, they would adhere to. They're not going to adulterate the Jamaican rum. Absolutely not. So, so the GIs is, is very often a time to codify things that have not been coded but are part of your practices to protect then the spirit, because that's the trouble is as your spirit becomes more about more and more valuable, that's when people want to take that name and, and, uh, and abuse it. Um, and you see, that's really what the point, that's why I always try to, people use words like, um, you know, restrictions or regulations, but what these are are standards of identity, because it really, you need to understand what the motivations of people are. Um, you can make any spirit drink you want. Um, you know, uh, what you can't do is call it what you want. So 
if you think, for example, that some whiskey distilled at your favorite distillery would taste even better if it was aged in Patagonia, you can do that. You okay. just can't call it scotch anymore. Uh, so this is the thing to understand. What, what people really do is when they come and say, well, we want some free, we want to innovate. What they're really saying is, is we want to take some, some shortcuts or some marketing gimmicks, <laughs> but take all the gravitas that has been associated with the category. Right. We don't want to lose that. We don't want to give that up. We still want to say this is a Barbados rum or a Jamaica rum. But, you know, we want all that value and gravitas, Scotch whiskey, bourbon, whatever. We don't want to give that, but please allow us to do this little gimmicky thing, which we think will capture the, you know, a marketing advantage. Mm-hmm. And we rightly reject those things. Good. What you want to do, what we need to start celebrating more is not gimmicks and innovation, but simply people who, who excel at what the product is. So let's not worry about the next gimmick or innovation in scotch or rum. Let's celebrate who does it really well. Mm-hmm. There's um, an article I was reading from Punch uh, back in 2018, and I really love how they how they dubbed the distillery. They, they named it the Pappy of Rum, um, in, in, I guess from Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, what did you think of that? No, 100%. Yeah, I think it is. Because obviously you saw, um, I guess, the rise uh, in, in rum consumer education and people trying to find uh, limited releases. And um, yeah, I mean, that, I, I really think that's a great name to have um, because I have tried some of your, um, you know, small releases or limited releases and they are fantastic and um, there is a pureness about them right yeah well the the beauty of doing those releases is of course we get to to yes you actually get to be even um, more pure in the sense of when you do a cast strength and it's a limited release there's no issue of thinking about color it's cast strength there's no batches to match you, you know and then you also, you don't chill filter. Uh, I mean, it really, uh, you know, apart from the adulteration that comes from the wood, other than that, mm-hmm. it's a very, yeah, I mean, and it's, a, it's actually what you prefer to do. I mean, um, you know, given that, you know, I'd love to just focus on doing cast strength pure, no chill filtration. It's the, it's the, the more commercial products that you have more of a, a a challenge in terms of uh, t- more of a technical challenge in terms of, you know, how do you make that bottle of, you know, your 40% product look pristinely perfect every single batch? Well, that's where things like chill filtration and color come in. Is it any way much color, which I, I dare not mention because that could take up the whole, whole podcast, but <laughs> color actually, you know, from the evidence, it, it, color really came from rum because of course it's, it's made from sugar. So that shouldn't be surprised. And, you know, the history of using color in rum had nothing to do, you know, today people think about color in rum and, you know, deception and, you know, mis- you know, fake in age today. The original use of color in rum went into unaged rum and rum was sold either as white rum or colored rum. Same price, there's no deception. It's just an extremely old practice 
which then did migrate over to Scotch whiskey, where they, in the early days they called it rum coloring, and did have many much nefarious use. For example, um, you know, if you watered down, if you watered down whiskey to um, deceive a customer, if you were, you know, a merchant blender or whatever, yeah, of course you'd reach for the caramel to help compensate for the color. But today, you know, color now has a modern technical use, and it's it's, as I say, it's how do you make that Johnny Walker black label look pristine, perfect every single batch? Well, chili filtration and caramel color is how you make it look perfect every single time. So we won't get too far on the color, but I'll just, I'd like to let people know that color actually is a tradition in, in rum, is very old in rum. It was used differently than it is used today. And it's sort of a little bit of a, a casualty of the fact that, you know, we don't have a lot of nuance today. People either want all pure or, you know, you know, sort of all or nothing. So you, it's very hard to explain to someone, well, you know, why is sugar not traditional and caramel is, but it's, yeah, that's the world is nuanced. It's not easy, but yeah, when, but, but the point is, yes, when you do the limited editions and you don't have to give a shit about any of those things, life becomes much easier. Right. Yeah, so they become the pure expressions. Pretty Even The only one that can become more pure than that is if you can release the pure white rum. It doesn't even go in the barrel. It's, unfortunately, that's not quite as popular as the age stuff. So let's talk about some of the rums that you make. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been asked this or ever thought about it, but what's your favorite a bottle that you've made or, or still make <laughs> i never um never i get asked that a lot and, oh you do uh, never i never answer it um or the answer that uh, anyone is looking for because i do not have a favorite i do i do i guess when i feel i should answer something i will point out uh the dorley's xo and the reason why yes. i do that is because we that was kind of the one of the first rums i created um one of it was probably it was the first so when we purchased the dorley's brand in the 93 they had a regular dorley's uh and they had a dorley's five-year-old we dropped the regular dorley's because we had you know competing in that area and we kept dorley's five which still is exists to this day uh, and then in about 99 or 2000, I can't remember, I created it, Dory's XO. And what happened, while I did create it for the local market, it was when we first started to export, 99, 2000, something like this, our first time to export. And so the timing was perfect because we went abroad, exported, you know, going to bars and showed it off and, you know, and you know, the, those days are really, really uh, small. Uh, I mean, it's 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 fun to sort of look back and think of you know, our first exports to the UK. I used to go in a little ten foot container. I don't think you can get ten foot containers anymore. <laughs> Pack it up with a mixed variety of goods, and you know, it's and it was a really big feeling. I mean, mm. it was a really big deal to export to the UK, and um, you know, and and so EXO was kind of like the flagship. And it was kind of the rum that got us attention, that sort of put us on the map, if you like, um, sort of got us a respected, oh yeah, that four square, the other, you know, that Dorley's XO, that's a good rum, sort of, you know, didn't necessarily say it was, you know, 
the, the greatest rum anyone had ever had, but it was a, it was a rum that, that earned us a second look and, and earned us, you know, and, and as you say, you, you mentioned that um, the release was one of the earlier rums for you. Yeah, it was. And it was the XO that, that really got me into it. And Well, there you go. So yeah. that's why XO will always have a, uh, you know, I don't have a simple answer to the word favorite, but I always say to people, without Dor- without the success of Dorley's XO, nothing else comes. Right. And, you know, can you, um, let's go into education a bit. And, and I know that um, education in the consumer market has got better, I believe. And it might be uh, because of things like the Rum Festival in, in London. Um, but do you think there needs to be done uh, more? And if so, oh, yeah, it, it just never stops. But, you know, it's one of those things where you look back and you will smile because you, when you look back mm. and you what, what um, you know, what passed before as, as rum knowledge, you know, or, you know, what used to be, what used to impress writers and, and, and sommeliers. And you look back and you see the quality of the articles and the nonsense that was written. So you look back and you feel really good. Yeah. If you look at where you are, you know, oh my goodness, we still have a tremendous amount of work to do. So it'll never stop, but we've come a long, long way. I mean, it's really very pleasing to see because, you know, coming back to, to you know, the, drink what you like, you know what you're drinking. Yeah, that's what's happened. And you, you know, some of the runs that people were sort of wowing over, you know, 10 years ago, they wouldn't touch them now. Mm, true. Yeah. Very true. Because they've learned their, their education has improved. And, and of course, they're, and, and, and it's not just, you know, that sounds bad. You say knowledge, oh, they've turned into stuff. No, their palate has changed because they've been exposed to more and more uh, complex rums, authentic rums where the flavor is from the raw material. And the, and the aging. And so when they go back and they taste something which is actually young and you know just young and flavored up, it, it tastes young and flavored up mm-hmm. you, to your palate that's now been exposed to, to more complex rooms. So can you tell me about some of the resources that you recommend for the listeners to, to really delve into the world of rum and learn more? Oh, good question. Good question. Um, there's some very, you know, there are good books out now. Um, uh, and of course, from different angles, I mean, it depends what you want. If you want to know, know more sort of like brands and production methods, there'll be things like Fred Minnick's book or Dave Broom's book. If you want to know more, more history, there's Ian Williams's, you know, the best way I can do is give you the author and then you can Google from there. Um, so it's a little bit about, you know, what you want to, to, to learn. I mean, you know, rum history is, 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 is uh, you know, it's, it's quite an interesting, uh, if you dig the social and economic history of rum, it's quite a, it's quite a, a wild ride of, uh, you know, you can dig and dig and dig there. But mm-hmm. learning about rum, as I said, yeah, it's two books that come to my mind, would be Dave Rooms and, um, and Fred Minnick's sort of, you know, you read them, you'll have a good understanding of how rum is made and the major brands. And uh, there will be, that would be a great foundation then to, you know, get out there and start, start drinking some. Okay. Brilliant. 
I'll definitely put those in the show notes for the audience. Um, we'll wrap up soon because I know it's very late for you over there. So just a few more questions, if you don't mind. Sure, no, it's fine. It's fine. Good. Um, so we've talked about Dolly's XO um, and there's plenty of other ones as well, but I'm sure that um, being a purist, you do love to drink rum neat or maybe just over ice but what about cocktails no no ice <laughs> no ice okay good good but do you, do you... and again drink what you like so you know it's yeah. funny sometimes because i have such an aversion you know i like my rum neat or i'll drink a cocktail but i don't like it on ice and then of course I, a lot of people love for rum they love to have it on ice and if that's how you love it, it's how you love it but of course for me it's sort of like i see it and it's almost like a cringe moment but hey you know you, that, <laughs> but one thing i've always learned is that you have to how you enjoy your spirit is very personal. Um, and, you know, and, you know, sometimes when we are doing shows, which are like consumer oriented, you know, we are very conscious of that. So we would always have um, a bottle of Falernum. And so anytime you had someone that was, did not drink spirits neat and you're at some kind of show or whatever, you'd whip out the Falernum and you'd make a quick corn and oil and say, here, here's a, you know, here's a mixed drink because it's no point Someone may love spirits, but they drink them mixed. And there's no point in you trying to show them your spirit and executing it in a way that they don't like. It's it's a way, you know, that's so you you know, you really have to people people can be very personal on how they drink their spirits. Yeah, yeah they, they can. can. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I know I, know I always, always like, like to have, have a... Oh, yes, I, I am. When I drink rum, I drink it neat. And that's my preferred way. I do drink a nice cocktail in between, but my preferred way to drink rum is neat. Okay. And here's another question to add on to that. Where have you... I mean, I'm sure um, potentially you used to travel a lot um, to talk oh, about yes, Foursquare. Sir. Not anymore, but... Um, where have you seen uh, Dawleys or Foursquare best represented in a cocktail bar around the world? Oh, goodness, that's a bad question. <laughs> bad question. Because I have... Let, let me preface that by saying that the thrill of seeing our rums in bars around the world never gets old. Mm. It really doesn't. And I think in the last couple of years, that has been mainly out sort of in the Far East. So in other words, you know, you know, we've been selling obviously in the UK and Europe for many years, but it's the last four or five years that we're venturing out to places like you know, um, Singapore and mm-hmm. Hong Kong, and you know, and, and you know, we're there in Kuala Lumpur and in, in, in some wonderful bars, and um, you know, the thrill of seeing it never, never uh, gets old. And that question is a dangerous question because. There are so many pockets around the world who do a marvelous job with our rums, um, either between the effort they go to get them or the pride in which they show them off. Uh, I dare not name one and not the other. Um, and as I say, it's, it's, it's a thrill that never gets old, never. Um, I mean, you go somewhere and, and you know, and they've got Falernum as well and, it's just magic it's just magic yeah, yeah. that's um that's a good answer to a bad question <laughs> <laughs> so i mean um yeah I, I, once again I'm, I'm so happy you came on the show um you're you're such a, a leader a thought leader in the rum industry um i've loved your bottles as well 
And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens um, with the future. I mean, have you got anything exciting coming up? I know you, you mentioned before you've got a new still coming in, right? Yeah, so I would say that, um, you know, there's been a couple of developments in the last couple of years that will come to fruition in in future. You know, this this uh, business is a very long horizon business. Um, it sometimes torments my fans on Facebook because I may post a picture of some newly arrived barrels. Mm-hmm. And they get excited and they, you know, and it's a kind of... Um, silly thing that I've done because you know they're the run from them is not going to be for a few years yet um so but in terms of developments that you know or you know will come about in the next couple of years uh one would be uh where we do our own uh, recharring of barrels and that is something we're scaling up. So this year we're actually putting in a cooperage. So we used to do it on a small scale. Now we're doing it on a bigger scale. Um, so that's going to, you know, uh, be a nice development because what we do is, so, you know, when you, you can go out and buy a brand new barrel from the cooperage and, you know, hopefully you get a lovely ear seasoned barrel and, you know, you, you, you buy the char, you know, the, the char you want, but it's very hard to beat a barrel that, um, you know, has age run for 15 or 20 years. And then you shave it and rechar it. The aroma uh, is just incredible. It's not, you know, it's not got the rawness of that, you know, two-year-old wood, as I say, two-year-old air season wood or kiln-drying wood. Um, it's basically very, you know, mature and seasoned wood. And the former contents, even though you, you shave and cut into a new area of the wood, still play a role. And I think that is going to be a really great development in, in years to come. Uh, of course, it's taken us. That's not something you could start overnight. You, it's taken us to be around for 25 years to, you know, to have 20-year-old barrels mm-hmm. to, to carry the process. So, and, and that's the beauty. When you create this barrel, you're really creating something that took, you know, years to create. You simply cannot buy this off a shelf. Mm. Um, the other aspect that we have done is, you know, historically when rum was made on a sugar estate, it was made both from juice and molasses. In the modern era, when estates, you know, stopped grinding their own cane and sent cane to central sugar factories, that's when the advent of the molasses only distillery came in to play because it bought molasses from the central factory. And of course, this is very famously, as I mentioned earlier, you know, rum industrial in Martinique, the advent of city-based distilleries. And of course, the corollary of it in Martinique was the, was the sugar estate who continued to grind their own cane, but couldn't send it to the sugar, to the central sugar factory. And there was two more or whatever. And they developed, of course, that wonderful category called rum agricole, which is a pure cane juice rum. But hitherto, this, this split, a sugar estate, classic sugar estate made rum from both. And so what we've done is, you know, when we first started back at Foursquare, we were a distillery attached to an estate, but we refurbished an old estate. So of course we started obviously with molasses. But what we've done in the last, from 2016, is reintroduce juice into making rum at Foursquare as well. 
So it's just been able to diversify our flavor profiles that much more. And, you know, really kind of go back to, to an always as I, you know, I, again, I, I'm always very skeptical of that word innovation. Um, it's, it's much more adhering to, to well tried and true principles than, in, in, than innovation. Um, right. So there's that aspect. And then, yes, our second pot still, um, it's very much based on the, the existing pot still, which we, you know, is a, uh, based on the classic Delbury Tort the double retort still with our own little tweaks and innovations on it and this newer uh pot still incorporates a lot of these uh little innovations but from the outset which actually allows us to do it better and let me and that gives me a, 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 a to give you an example of what i would call a genuine innovation so one of the things we have at foursquare is some of our copper surfaces or we use a bit of a cliche marketing term, nano copper. In other words, what it is, is we take the top, the top surface has an improved catalytic effect per unit area. So what this does is it allows you to use the copper in a certain way where you don't change the thermodynamic effect of the copper. So you don't change, in other words, you can add, you're adding more catalytic effect of copper without adding, you know, more trays or, or in other words, and changing the, 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 the rum you're making. Okay. Uh, so that's what we have. And the final part still has been able to build with the ground up with the nanocopper services. In other words, not modify after the fact. So we see that as, as I say, that for me, that's a real innovation. Real innovations are not marketing gimmicks. Real innovations are hard work, uh, take years to develop, and years to see the results. Um, so that's, you know, that will come on. So we, you know, we're looking forward to the kind of spirit we're going to make clear. Um, we're also with the second pot still doing something that is very, um, again, a genuine innovation. Um, so our column still, under it on, runs on a vacuum pressure. So instead of running atmospheric, it runs on a vacuum. So it runs at a lower temperature. Our pots, current pot still is a more conventional pot still running at atmospheric pressure. But our new pot still is going to also run on the vacuum pressure. So that's a pretty cool innovation. I mean, there are vacuum stills out there, but they're not, there are no traditional spirit designs mm. under vacuum. Um, so this is taking a classic Caribbean double retort still, which is a type of still that's been in use for, you know, well over a hundred years, coming up more like 200 years. And as you say, adding uh, these innovative touches. So adding the, the, the improved copper, adding the vacuum system. Uh, and there are other little, little features in, you know, and how the heating is done and things like this. Um, and, and that, and it, for me, it's a good example of how you, you take the traditional principle, it's still a double retort, pot still distillation. It's the same fundamental principle that's been in place for 200 years, but you just do it well. And you do it well by, you know, having a very clever heating system. You do it well by having very, you know, clever copper material. You do it well by adding, um, you know, vacuum uh, pressure so as to, 
lower the temperatures in the, in the, in the, in the distillation. And so, yeah, I mean, those are things that are going to come. I mean, obviously, we continue to invest in very good barrels. So we have, you know, lots of cognac barrels and pours and sherry barrels. And again, this is nothing particularly innovative about this. This is the heritage of, you know, very much like Scotland. You know, we don't have a, a local, um, you know, forest. So we don't have a local uh, cooperage industry. So very much like Scotch whiskey, we, the heritage is, you know, recycling um, barrels. And of course, today, you know, in the past, the, the sherry came in the barrel and you sold the sherry and then you refill the sherry barrel. Now, today, it's like it's like Scotland. You, you import an empty barrel. But the heritage is because of, of you know, when, when sherry was shipped in bulk. So we'll continue, continue to do that, continue to, um, to invest in, in, good, in very good quality barrels. Um, and then the other, uh, sorry, I forgot the one. Um, no, I mentioned the, the juice. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned the, the pot still. Uh, no, that's it. So th these are things that are, you know, developments with a long horizon. And, um, you know, so the, the stuff that we're releasing today are based on, on the things that we thought about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, to following your journey more and congratulations for uh, your upcoming 25th anniversary of making amazing rums. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, Richard. I appreciate yes, it so you're much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. Well, um, for all the audience, um, all the information will be in the show notes. And if you have not tried it yet, please do learn more about Dawleys and Foursquare. And uh, yeah, thanks, Richard. Talk soon.